Today's reading is Isaiah 44, 24, and 45, 8. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turned wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judea, they shall be built. And I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry? I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in the secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest while the rest of us are seated. Thank you, Ramona, for that reading. Wow, that is the sound of, I think, joy, um, I hope. Uh, my name is Daniel Long. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Grace, uh, and it's good to be with you always, uh, and it's good to be able to share um, from God's Word uh, with you. And in my prayers leading up to this morning, which began really early today, uh, I was getting the sense that and the hope is always that God would speak, right? And that God would speak to you. But sometimes there's this stronger sense that, that God has something to say to some very specific people. Um, and and I don't, that's not to say I know names uh, and it's directed at you, but that God, God wants to, 
to reveal himself to you um, and wants to share with you truths about who he is and what he's like. And so I don't know um, if that resonates or if you've come hoping you need something. Well, my prayer is that God would give you what you need um, through his word and what is said. So would you pray with me and we'll get into the word this morning. God, thank you that you are one who, who does give us what we need. Thank you for Catherine's story, for showing us that you are a God of generosity and a God of surprise. Uh, I do ask that you would speak. I ask that you would, that you would make yourself known um, to those who want, who need to know who you are and what you're like. Those who are needing to hear from you, God, I pray that that they would hear your voice, your voice of tenderness, of care, of love, of faithfulness. I pray for all of us, God, I ask that you would um, speak to us afresh, that you would surprise us, that we would be open to hearing what it is you have to say, um, even if it's for the hundredth time. I pray that you would make it new, make it fresh for us um, so that it lands in a different way. You are the God who is faithful to be who you are, and thank you that we know who you are through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're in a series in the, going through the Apostles' Creed, which is written here on the walls. Um, and in this series, the hope through sermons, but also in our life groups, that we would discuss together some of the, the central pieces or components of Christian belief of things that we together as Christians who've identified with Jesus, that these, these are the things, this is the language um, that we use when we're talking about the things of God and who he is, what he's like, and what he's done. And the hope through the Apostles' Creed is that, that we would grow in our faith together, that we would come to a, a deeper sense of who God is, but that we would also grow toward Jesus that as he has called us and said to come follow him, that we would follow after him, that our faith in Christ would grow and would become stronger. So I suggested a couple weeks ago and last week, and it's a little bit of review, but just to kind of get it into our brains, um, that the Apostles' Creed was developed early on in the Christian church um, as a way of instructing new believers in the faith. So people who wanted to give themselves over to Christianity were going to be instructed before they were to be baptized. Now, baptism is a practice, and you might have seen it. If you've been in the church, you definitely have seen it, where people are dunked, and then they come up out of the waters to signify that their life is now hidden with Christ in God, that they have identified with the death of Jesus and with the resurrection of Jesus. Their life now only makes sense in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so because this is a massive commitment, because these people who were in a way of living or in a way of thinking needed to be converted into a new way of being, into a new way of thinking, they were instructed in the faith. The Apostles' Creed was a way to do this so that people actually knew what they were getting themselves into. And so they would be instructed in the ways of God and what he's like and in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And as they were instructed about couple months, 40 days leading up to their baptism, then they would become baptized, and then the, these statements that are up here would be turned into questions. Do you believe 
in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? These three questions would then be followed by being dipped in water or dunked in water and then pulled out of the water. And if you're part of a life group, you know this happened with while they were naked. Um, and some of you in our first group were like, that is weird. Why would they do that? Uh, and part of it was because in this new life, they were to bring nothing with them. There is nothing about them. It's like a new birth, and you are born, even if you don't remember, naked. And so it's a new birth into the ways of God, into the ways of Jesus. And so they would be dunked, they'd be raised three times. And again, this is a way of the church wanting to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave to make disciples, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostles' Creed works as in few different ways, which you can bring up that, that slide. It works as a map, as a light, as a lens, and as a tapestry, that we are in this Christian life it's like the landscape of faith, and the Apostles' Creed helps us get a handle on what that landscape looks like. It's a map in that it points our attention to the things we need to be looking at. It gives us the different language that we need to use so that we know what we're talking about. It's also a light in that it illuminates the things that are most significant about the story that God has given to us. The central point is Jesus. It's also a lens. It becomes a way that helps us understand and read Scripture well. And it's also a tapestry in that it holds things together, not only who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit, but also it holds us as Christians together across time and across space, that we who have been born again in Jesus into this new life, that we have brothers and sisters not just here among us, but across history and across geography, that this is a massive thing that we have been born into. But it's an invitation, so it gives us, it helps us navigate the landscape of faith, but it's also an invitation. The Apostles' Creed is an invitation in that it pulls us into life with God. It pulls us into life with God, that what it means to follow after Jesus is to follow Jesus into the life that God has offered, into the abundant life. Now, it's also a reminder that our faith has a story. This isn't something new or that we've made up but something that we are continuing along in the story of faith that began with Jesus. And it's also a way to help us develop a posture of discovery, to be open to what God might have for us. So that's why we're in the Apostles' Creed. Last week we talked about the first two words, I believe. This sense of, of entrusting our lives to God. That To say that I believe is not a confession of certainty, but it's actually a confession that I'm going to entrust my life to the God that we'll, we will be talking about today that the creed reveals and points us to. That to say I believe is an admittance that we are people who need to believe. That we all believe in something. We all have a certain level or measure of faith. The question is, what is our faith in? And so we looked at the person of Abraham. That Abraham was called by God promised by God that he would be a great nation, that these people would be God's people. And of course, if you hear from a God who is saying to go and you follow, then over time you develop and you cultivate a trust in that God. To say, I believe, is to entrust oneself 
into a life that will continue to learn, to see, to discover who this God is. So therefore, faith, therefore, trust is a lifelong, ongoing process, not a one-time deal. So to confess that I believe is to confess that I have confidence, that I have trust in this God who has raised Jesus from the dead. And it's a commitment to be a pilgrim on the way with Jesus, not a tourist. So in this landscape of faith, we are not tourists who hop in and out and say, well, that's cool, and take pictures so that we can take home and show people these awesome things. But we are rather pilgrims. We are on the way. We are there with Jesus, following him in this way of faith. So to say I believe, especially in baptism, is to say this is going to be the reference point of how I make sense of the world. This will be the way in which I make sense of the world. Now, St. Augustine has this quote, which I love and I've been pondering. He says, I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. So it's easy to think that we can stand above faith, stand above belief, and then choose the right thing. St. Augustine says, no, it's actually the other way around. You entrust yourself to the story, and then you will understand. You believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and it's from that point of entrusting yourself to that God that you then begin to see the world in a whole different way. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, which I shared at the very first sermon of this series. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So it's this sense of entrusting one's life to the story that will make sense of who they are. When we become Christians, when we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are making a commitment to see the world differently. We are making a commitment to see the world differently, to see the world in reference to who God is, not in reference to who I am or my sense of belief, but who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus. But we want to talk about who that God is because the Apostles' Creed doesn't just simply talk about confession, talk about faith, but it tells us in whom our faith is to be found, who our anchor point in life is to be, and it's God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. So this morning we're going to talk about the character of God as shared or um, referenced in the Apostles' Creed, but I want to tease that out a little bit more. So I want to tease out three different ways in which the Creed suggests we are to think about God as Father, as Almighty, and as Maker. Father as, al as a God who is Almighty and as a God who is Maker. And why is that? Why are we to be holding these ideas or these characteristics in our minds about God as we live into the way of faith? Why? Now, it's interesting, if you think about the creed and its context, what these people were being baptized into, these new converts, were not, were, they weren't being baptized into a belief of God. They had a sense of the divine, though it was many, multiple gods. So in the pagan environment, right, there was, it was polytheistic. So they had an enchanted view of the world. It wasn't as if they needed to believe in God for the first time. What they needed was a different God to believe in. Now, Acts 17, I don't know if you've read this, but it's an incredible passage, and we're not going to go through it 
that we should have. Um, it's because it's so amazing. It's this moment when Paul is talking to these people in the middle of this city who have constructed all of these idols, all of these pictures of who these gods are. But they have this one, this one place, this one altar that's, that's built for this unknown God, to this unknown God. And so what Paul does in this amazing work of articulation and apologetics is he says, this God who you do not know, let me tell you about this God. This God is the one whom you can see and understand through the person of Jesus and his resurrection. He is the God above all gods. He is the God of which we are his offspring, Paul says. That it's from this God that all things were made and were created. This is the God that matters. This is the God that puts to shame all other gods. Now, why is this significant? Because in our day and age, it's easy to think that it's between believing in God and, be- and not believing in God. So between atheism and theism. Now, it's easy to think that those are the two options. But they're not, that's not the, those are not the only two options of belief and non-belief. Because all of us, I believe, we believe, all of us are people of belief and we have our own gods to which we are making our own altars. But the God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is the God who's, who comes in Jesus to put to shame all the other gods that we worship. The God revealed in Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection is the God who puts to shame all the other gods that we worship. What gods do you worship? What gods do I worship? Because the Apostles' Creed points us to the God who is Father, who is Almighty, who is Maker, the God above all gods, the only God. And this is how he wants to be known. So we, we heard read this morning in Isaiah 44, the very beginning, it says this, Thus says the Lord, our Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So at the beginning of this, this passage where God is, is letting the people know, wanting to tell the people about who he is and what he's like, he refers to himself as Redeemer, but then Redeemer connected to fathering language, this idea of forming this people in the womb. So to think of God as Father is to think of God as also Redeemer and Protector. Now to think of Father in the ancient world is to think of the person who, was a, who held the utmost responsibility for the well-being of the family. That was the Father's job. And we talked a little bit about this last fall when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. That when Jesus teaches people to pray, he teaches them to say, Our Father who is in heaven. That there's this sense of the fatherhood of God is this sense in which God is the one who provides for the well-being of his family. That he is the one who is most responsible for the future, for the ongoing goodness of the family. Now, some of you might have difficulty with the word father, and for good reason. It's complex and it's tricky, especially if your understanding or experience of father is confusing, or you'd rather not think of God that way, because your experience of fathers in your life is one you just wish that you could forget. But we call God father, 
who is the ultimate example of a father because Jesus Christ himself referred to God as father. Scripture says that in Jesus we have been adopted into the family of God, that we have been given an inheritance, a glorious and rich inheritance. So we call God Father because Jesus himself does, and if our lives are hidden with Christ in God, we can refer to God as Father also. But there's this sense of the fatherhood of God as creator, as redeemer, but also in this text as rebuilder, as restorer, as somebody who is giving identity to a people or helping a people recover their identity. So the fatherhood of God, as the Apostles' Creed is wanting to point us, is to a God who is imminent and close like a father, but also a God who is reliable. A God who is reliable. And it's a God through his love and his freedom, because God is free, he has decided to not be remote, but to be near. Have you ever thought about that? That God, being God and above all, has chosen in his freedom to not be remote or far from us, but to be close to us. So God, as Father, has decided to be close to us. But there's also this language of almighty. Now, the Greek word for this, this language of almighty is this language of ruler overall or holder of everything. So there's this sense of ruling. There's this sense of holding. There's this sense of power. Now, of course, now in 2020, power has gotten a really bad rap. Because how can we trust power? If somebody has power, then what's really going on? How are they using that power? If somebody has power, it's immediately followed up by suspicion. Because in our day and age, what we want is a leveling, right? We don't want anybody to have power. We want to be all on the same equal uh, plane and platform. Why? Because we are so full of suspicion and cynicism and mistrust and for good reason. There's so many reasons why we should mistrust those in power. But it becomes confusing, and it can become, I think, harmful, if we project onto God our mistrust of power as it works out here among us on earth. So all of a sudden, when we hear words like God, Father, Almighty, the one who is most powerful, it would be easy to be suspicious of God instead of seeing it as the good that it is, as the God who holds all things together, as the God who is ruler over all. Because if somebody has power, what do you want to ask? What's your agenda? And so put that question to God. God, what is your agenda? What do you really want to have happen? What's really going on? Well, if you look at the story of Scripture, it's actually a really wonderful, wonderful answer to that question. What is God's agenda? Well, if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, which is on page 983. Bibles are in front of you. Not really. They're underneath you. Um, but you can get one and turn to Colossians 1 on page 983.
So to ask about what God, God's agenda is, is to ask about the trajectory of the story that God has begun to tell. Where is it really going? And what's really going on with it? Well, I want to read this extended passage from Colossians 1, which is one of my favorite passages, starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. What is God's agenda? That through Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into his family, we can share all that Christ has, and that his agenda is ultimately to reconcile all things to himself. So what is God up to? What does he want why is it good news that he is a ruler over all, that he holds all things together? Because what God wants is what's in the best interest of us in our world. God wants to make all things new. So thank God that he is almighty. Thank God that he does rule over everything. Thank God that he does hold all things together. Why? Because we can trust that God will do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is to make new heavens, new earth, new creation, reconciling all things through Jesus Christ. That's how God wants to use his power. And his power is displayed not in manipulation or coercion, but in patience in long-suffering, in faithfulness. Philippians 2, this wonderful hymn, talking about who Jesus is and what he's like, that he, that he gave up being like God to come, take on flesh, to become like a human, so that he might be obedient to the point of the cross, considering others as more important than himself. I mean, it's an amazing story, and that is the story of Christianity. Rowan Williams says this, Here's what the Bible shows us about God's power. A God who gets his way by patiently struggling to make himself clear to human beings, to make his love real to them, especially when they seem not to want to know or to want to avoid him and retreat into their own fantasies about him. This is what almightiness looks like in practice. It's the unlimited power to be there, 
to be faithful to and for a world that is deeply unstable and unjust and suspicious and uncooperative. The power to go on trying to get through at all costs, laboring and wrestling with the human heart. Isn't that good news, that God, in his power, shows us that he is one who wants to go on trying to get through at all costs, laboring and wrestling with the human heart. If you know your your heart, you know that it's a massive struggle and wrestle to do the things that even you'd like to do. And God, in his power, in his almightiness, is a God who is patient with us, patient with our heart patient with who we are and the story that he's telling, not to coerce or to manipulate, but to reveal himself ongoing through our lives, through Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit, to show us what he's after, which is good and wholeness and shalom, everything the way it's supposed to be. That's God's agenda. But it also speaks to, the Apostles' Creed speaks to God as maker of heaven and earth, that all things have been created by God. Now, why does that matter? So why does, of course, we want to have God as Father, right? His eminence, his closeness, that's good. We want to have God as Almighty, holding all things together, ruler overall. But then maker of heaven and earth, the one who created all things. Because all of a sudden, if God is the one who's created, it means that we are the created beings of God. It means that what we have, what we've been given, are God as gift. I think of 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive? To think of God as maker of heaven and earth is to think of the God who has created all things. All of a sudden, there's a reference point. There is the God who is creator. All of a sudden, it matters how I live, who I am, and how I treat others. Because it's not me. I didn't create this. It's not about what I want. It's about this God who is created. But it's also good news because it means that our world matters. So early on, when the Apostles' Creed was being developed, early on in Christianity, there was this heresy. It's called Gnosticism. You might have heard of it. But the Gnostics believed that spirit was good, but matter, our bodies, the, the earth, the things that we could touch, bad. So spirit good, everything else bad. So to, for the Apostles' Creed to actually say God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is to actually say that this world that God has created is good. That matter matters. <laughs> Write that down. Matter matters. Um, no, but it means, this, it means that, that because we are created by God, because he has given us bodies, it means that this is good. When God created the world, he said that it was good. It means that how we treat each other and our world and our environment actually matters to God. Why? Because this world belongs to him. He made it and he created it. Now, consider that for a moment, these people being baptized into a whole new way of belief, out of this sense of, oh, I just need, it's just my spirit, doesn't matter what I do with my body, or doesn't matter how I treat the world, into a way of life that says, no, God cares about all of it. God cares about all of it, because he created it, he made it. 
So as Christians, this is also wonderful because it pushes us back into the world. The Apostles' Creed doesn't just pull us in and say, this is all that matters. Just forget about the world and, and relationships and, and the things you do on, in your daily life. It actually says, no, all of those things matter because they matter to God. God cares about all of it because he is maker of heaven and earth. But here's where I want to land. So yes, it, the Apostles' Creed pushes us to think about God as Father, the one who is imminent and close, but, and it also pushes us to think of God as the one who holds all things together and as the God who has made everything. But still, I know some of you are thinking, so? Either I believe that, and I don't really know what matters or why that makes a difference, or you don't believe it, or you're on the fence about it. And see, here's the wonderful thing about Christianity, is that it doesn't even suggest that arguments for God's existence do a, do a lot of good. Because if, you, if, the, if you're asking the question of Christianity, is it true? The Bible gives you a story. The Bible gives you people and names. The Bible gives you ups and downs of those people with their God. The Bible ultimately gives you a person named Jesus who gave everything for the sake of the world. So if you're wondering, okay, this sounds good, but I still don't believe it, that's okay. And I'm not going to try to convince you. One of my favorite quotes is, there's no truth about God in the posture of defense. There's no truth about God in the posture of defense because God does not need to be defended. He's good. He's God. But what Christianity does give us are not arguments, but lives. Lives that somehow testify to the credibility of God. Again, Rowan Williams says this, faith has a lot to do with the simple fact that there are trustworthy lives to be seen, that we can see in some believing people a world we'd like to live in. I need to read that again. Faith has a lot to do with the simple fact that there are trustworthy lives to be seen, that we can see in some believing people a world we'd like to live in. What this means is that God's answer to the question about his existence or even about his goodness is answered with us, with the stories and the prayers in here. That it's about the lives that we see giving us a world that we'd like to live in. I love that so much. Because it's so easy, and I've experienced it, where it seems like all of the arguments, even all of the things that, that I'm supposed to think as a pastor, they just don't work. You still don't feel like it's clicking. And yet, I'm thankful to this place and to you for giving God credibility. Now, if you're on the fence and you're wondering, do I believe any of this? Or I used to and I don't anymore, or I'd like to. 
Well, there are a lot of arguments against why there's a God or his goodness. But there are more arguments for his existence and for his goodness, and those arguments have names. Those arguments have names and they have stories. Because when I think about this place, and when I think of Dan and Dana Stump, when I think of Tom and Sue Sadler, when I think of Ed Stringham and Diane, when I think of Danielle Montiel and Maynard and their family, when I think of Keith Dowds, when I think of Eric Balmer, when I think of Sue and Rick Beanie, when I think of, of the Exleys and the Bears and the Clements and the Churchills and the Lundmarks and other people I know I'm forgetting, when I think of you and how you choose to live your life and what you've done, you show me a world I want to live in. You reveal to me that God is credible and that God is good and that God is Father, he's almighty, and he is maker of heaven and earth. Like, I can't explain, I am not smart enough to explain to you all of the reasons why I think you should believe. But if you pull someone aside from this community and you say, hey, can you tell me why you do? you will get a story. Because people, we, are called to take responsibility for God's credibility, and you do. Like, I can't explain to you sometimes why God feels, why he's, he is, but I, can't, I can also can't explain that when I text a prayer to a friend, and somehow that makes a difference. Like, I can't think of that outside of anything besides what who God is and what he's revealed to himself. Like, I don't know how to think about how God works all the time, but when I hear a story like Catherine's, it makes God credible. Like, I can't tell you and have all of the best arguments for you, but when I hear somebody like somebody from this congregation named Ursula tell her story in second hour, I think, yes, this is a story I'd want to live in. So thank you, Grace Long Beach, and all the names that I could have named and I did not name, for presenting to us a story that we can live in, a story that finds at its center the person of Jesus Christ, who lived, died, was raised again, because it changes everything. And so I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, because I want a God who in his freedom has chosen to be near, because I want a God who holds all things together and who rules all things, and his agenda is good. And I want a God who has created this world to show me, to reveal to me what he's like and who he is and where I'm supposed to go and how I'm supposed to live with all of you. So thanks be to that God who's revealed himself in that way. Thanks for listening to the Grace Long Beach podcast. For more information about our church community, values, 
and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org.